Yo, this is Pete Town's finest, representing the NEP. D. Stoudemire, and y'all know what we're talking about. No one's ready to deal with us. Ciao, ovdje je Yusuf Nurkić. Vi slušate Rip City Radio Report sa Casey and Joel. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to another edition of the Rip City Report. I'm Joe Freeman, the Oregonian. He's Casey Holdall of Trailblazers.com. Greetings, Joe, and hello to everyone out there. Uh, hopefully, hopefully everyone's staying safe, staying cool, staying, uh, staying non-charred. It's ugly out there, Joe. Ugly. It is ugly, Casey, and it just gets uglier by the day. Uh, and yeah, let me echo that. Please, everybody, I hope you're safe and well. And uh, I mean, I know someone, uh, a family friend that lives in Estacada, and they fleed their home yesterday. Yeah. And, and they fully thought when they, that it was going to burn to the ground while they were gone. And that is just heartbreaking with everything else going on. They have a newborn baby that they're dealing with. So it's, can we, uncle, can, can we as humans just say uncle and get on with this? Like, seriously. I mean, it's the, the newest thing is 2020 can't get any worse. It's the worst ever. Apparently it can get worse because every week brings something worse. It, I, yeah. I don't even know what to do anymore, Casey. Yeah, and, and we as Oregonians and Portlanders specifically, uh, yeah, we get, get cut us a break already. It's been nice that Portland's been spared from the fires. Obviously, a lot of those, a lot of those situations in, in the surrounding areas. And yeah, Joe, I have I have friends and family who who live in those areas, and you're concerned for them. And it sounds like everyone's doing what they're supposed to do, but it, just really a, a disappointing situation, and you know, one that hopefully we can we can get over. But yeah, you're exactly right, Joe. Like just hit after hit after hit this year and you know it'd be nice if we could just uh you know i i've seen some people talk about getting back to normal and decrying the notion of normal and and i i kind of i understand the general notion of that but also like i don't even need normal at this point like just give me a break a little bit of time to catch my breath and uh so if that's normal or or not i don't know but but yeah give me a give us all a minute just to to reset because it is as you mentioned joe it's just been one thing after another i'll tell you what's wild is uh my life now uh every morning uh, we're just gonna use we don't need to talk blazers let's just talk about what's going on in our lives casey i've got the uh, virtual kindergarten going on on the computer in the morning and then of course as every loyal rip city report listener knows my wife is an elementary school teacher so she's teaching the whole time in another room so it is just uh a blank show in the freeman household uh, especially in the morning i'm trying to do the kindergarten and the playing with the with with Finley while also doing my work, I've got the it's just a it's a it's a mess. So, uh, but as I I was thinking about this yesterday, it pales in comparison to people who are have lost their house houses or might lose their houses. And so, uh, yeah, I don't even again uncle. And I should note, I saw something. Uh, we're recording at about twelve thirty on Thursday, and I saw something from the weather service that said. As bad as it is right now in the Portland metro area, it's going to get even worse, thicker with smoke and, and, and clouds and fire residue. So just think about staying inside as often as you can. And uh, just generally speaking, be safe, close up your windows and all that, because you don't want to be breathing that in too much. Yeah, we were lucky here in Portland uh, the past two days in that while the rest of the state was, was mostly under smoke for whatever reason, you know, we seem to be spared it here in Portland. Um, the, the reports are that, you know, that smoke that was hanging up higher in the atmosphere yesterday or Wednesday has now started to drift down into where we're at on Thursday. 
and the heat is going to go up and uh, it's going to be pretty still after it being incredibly windy, which is good for, for the folks out there that are fighting those fires, but it's not so good for uh, the air quality either. So yeah, my, uh, I, hopefully you can't tell, but my throat is actually fairly sore right now uh, as a contact lens where my eyes have been uh, fairly sore for the past couple of days, but I'm lucky in that I don't really have allergies. I know a lot of people out there have that situation basically year round in Oregon. So yeah, you know, it could always be worse, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you, you can't feel some some remorse and some some sadness about what is going on in your life. So, you know, while, again, it, other people have it worse than we do, that doesn't mean you can't feel a bit sorry for yourself every now and then. That is okay. Allow yourself the the right to be sad about your situation because, you know, that's tough. Indeed. Uh, well, on a brighter note, Quick birthday shout out to loyal uh, podcast listener, Ronnie Stewart. Today is his birthday. So happy birthday, Ronnie. Um, and let's see, we've got a variety. Oh, you know, another uh, insane thing I've recently learned, just another brief tangent. Have you, you can't buy a printer in this world right now. <laughs> I, I need to buy a printer and have for a while. And they are either like back ordered or sold out or out of stock, even like, HP and Canon, like their company websites sold out back orders. So unless you want to spend like $500 or whatever, and I'm not looking for something like that. So it's, I guess the combination of back to school and factories and wherever, wherever and coronavirus, but it's crazy. Go out there and try to buy a printer and tell me how good your luck is, or at least a decent printer. Well, I do have a printer. I, I think I bought it last year. You know, printers are one of those things now where you don't really need them a whole lot, except for like maybe once or twice a year. For me, it's when it's tax season is when I typically need to use our printer. So we do have one and it works pretty well. Um, but yeah, it was pretty cheap. I think the combination of all those things you just mentioned, Joe, the fact that people just aren't using printers all that much anymore. So the, the demand is not necessarily there. And then you have a situation spike, like, you know, if a lot of people are doing work at home and Maybe they need to print out more stuff at home. They buy those printers. So, but I am surprised to hear that you can't go onto Amazon, Joe, and find a printer that's that's a decent price. What I will say though is, is you know, you buy printers now, and basically you throw them out when the ink is gone because the ink cartridges cost more than the actual printer does, which has always been idiotic and incredibly wasteful. So, another discussion about waste here on the uh, just open up the Rip City Report, just like last week, Joe. All right, and I'll stop uh, stimulating us wasting uh, wasting time. He's Casey Holdall, of course. You can follow him on Twitter, at Seahold. And uh, please read his stories at blazers.com slash forward center. You can follow me on Twitter, at Blazer Freeman, and read mine and my colleagues' stories at organlive.com slash blazers. And uh, this is probably going to be our last podcast for a little while anyway, since the uh, Blazers season is over. And... Um, you know, we're going to be pretty lean on, on material and, and, and whatnot Blazers related. So this is going to be your last chance uh, for some time to give us that five-star review. You know, you've been dying to give us. So if you do subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcasts, give us all your five-star reviews. Okay. Let's get to Blazers. Now uh, we thought we'd kind of do um, you know, last time we, we talked a lot about the bubble and just kind of our initial thoughts about the end of the season and, and so on and so forth. But we figured we should dedicate a podcast as we always do kind of looking back at the, uh, is it 2019-20 season? So we have a few postseason awards to hand out, uh, a little talk about uh, next season as well. And of course, your Waltner Odins and, uh, and your questions. So where should we begin, Casey? Should we, should we delve into some awards? Do you want to talk loosely, uh, uh, give our general thoughts about, uh, about the season? What, what, what do you want to go yeah, with? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it's worth a – it's been so long now, but 
I mean, I, I think it, it makes sense to look back a little bit at the 2019-2020 season and not so much recap it, but just a, a, a brief review of it. Obviously, uh, the the biggest story being probably injuries. And, you know, with, with the turnover on the team this year, the, the hope was that they'd be able to to maybe improve a little bit and, and make a, a deeper run this year than they had last year when they got to the Western Conference Finals. Obviously, that, that was not the case. You lose Rodney Hood, you lose Zach Collins, you already knew you were going to be without Yusuf Nurkic. And, you know, the, the thing goes south pretty fast. Kent Bazemore, uh, that didn't work out. You know, just a not a lost season for the Blazers. They, they got something out of it, but in, in terms of results and, and just takeaways, I would think as well, just maybe not what you would have hoped after 2019 or 18, 19 season, where you, you really surpassed expectations and looked like a team that was maybe ready to take that next step. Uh, didn't really seem like they, they were able to do that this year. Yeah. The season started with, with, uh, you know, claims of, of chasing championships and, you know, inflated expectations for Anthony Simons and some of the, the role players and uh, all the offseason roster moves. It, it was a, a summer in which both, I know both of us were surprised that so many roster moves had been made. And, and I know um, very few of them panned out. And, and obviously all that preseason bluster didn't pan out either. And so from that standpoint, it was overwhelmingly disappointing. Uh, it ended on a relative high because the roster got healthy. They made some noise in the bubble. Uh, you know, Damian Lillard solidified his status as as one of the game's best players. Um, but I, I guess I do. A lost season is kind of a, a good way to, to describe it, I guess. I do think, um, you know, as we pivot to next season, I know we have probably some questions about it. I, th- I think we do. And it seems to annually be a, a talking point for – not only fans, but pundits uh, in the area and such is, is, you know, what does Olshay do? How do you handle the roster? Do you, do you work along the uh, margins? Do you, do you make some huge move to shake up, uh, shake up what you're doing? And I think in some respects, we saw, you know, the byproduct or the potential downfall of doing something like that this season, because you had a very cohesive, um, talented core that uh, that got you to the Western Conference Finals that had been together for years for the most part, uh, that grew and, and took its lumps together. Uh, and then you blew that up and, uh, and pretty much fell flat on your face. Uh, and so there is danger in, in taking that leap. Oftentimes it works. It, we're, I mean, we're seeing it with the Lakers now, but we're talking about two perennial all-stars and two of the game's best players with them. Um, but when you're looking at a core that has Dame and CJ and Nurk, you already have a lot of talent right there. And so it's, it's, I still believe it's accentuating those pieces with the right, uh, or those guys with the right pieces, uh, rather than making some crazy move just to make a crazy move. I, you know, we talked a little bit about this last podcast or the one before there's, there's a couple moves I'd like to see the team make, but I don't know that I'm there with them needing to make some crazy move just to, just to, because of the way the season unfolded, uh, you know, injuries played a part in that. But again, I think, you know, chasing Hassan Whiteside, we saw what that did, you know, getting rid, giving up on Aminu and Harkless for all their, uh, you know, faults, everything they brought. I think the roster missed a lot of that this year. And, and those things were exposed too. 
Kent Bazemore, you know, didn't work out. Anthony Tolliver didn't work out. Hazonia has not worked out. So, again, I guess long-winded way to say, uh, long-winded way to say, there's danger in in doing something drastic, I guess. Yeah, obviously they need to they need to make some moves in order to get to where they want to go. But I, I I agree, Joe, in that I don't see like huge moves necessarily needing to be made. Now they you'd like to see the team healthy and together, and maybe even healthy and together it doesn't work. Maybe Riza's not enough. Maybe we didn't see enough of Trevor Riza throughout the season to to come to a a real conclusion about who he is at this point in his career as a player. I'm not necessarily saying that, but I mean, I I could see that. Maybe Carmelo Anthony, another season doesn't work out as well as it did this year. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe there's an inclination to, to go a different direction there. I, I, I do not know. I, Carmelo is one of those is one of the areas. And I think we've both talked about this, Joe, where like, I don't have any idea whatsoever about what the hopes are from the organization in terms of Carmelo. Carmelo has said what he wants to do, I don't have any idea of what where the Portland Trailblazers stand on that. But you get Nurk back, and Damian does take another step forward this season. CJ doesn't have the season that I think he would have liked to have had, but I think CJ has shown throughout the years that second half of the season, maybe it would have turned around for him. I thought he played pretty well in the playoffs, despite having that back issue, which you would imagine there won't be any any lingering issues there, but also something to kind of pay attention to as well. And then, you know, you, you, you look at the roster at that point and you think, well, you, you got center squared away, you got shooting guard and, and point guard squared away. You still need those forward positions. And that's where, you know, you're putting a lot of faith in Ariza and, and perhaps, you know, rightly so, but he is 35. And then you, you have to figure out what's going on with power forward because you don't know if Carmelo is going to be there long term. You don't know what Zach Collins' status is going to be. So really, the Blazers are, are kind of back where I feel like they've been for the past couple seasons, which is that they need help on the wing. And that seems to be, again, kind of where they find themselves going into this offseason is that hmm. while they like what they have in, in Gary, obviously, and, and they feel good about Ariza, and again, that... You assume that they're going to keep Ariza, um, but we don't have obviously 100% confirmation on that either. You're still left with probably needing something there. And that, that seems to be where, where the issues emanate from for the Trailblazers, along with, with backup point guard. They obviously, and we've talked about this in the last show, Joe, they need a backup point guard. And so you didn't really come away this season a whole lot different than you came away from last season, you know, because last season you get done with the, with the playoffs and you feel good about what you did, but you know, you still know that like, hey, we didn't really play Aminu or Mo a ton in the postseason. We need to get more out of those positions. And you come to the end of, of this year, over a year and a half later, and you're still in the same spot. You know, like you still need a 3 and D wing. And you, you don't have him necessarily on the wing. Could Gary be that guy? He, he might be, but you probably need maybe a little bit more size, at least in terms of, of switchability in, in today's NBA from, from someone who's going to be your starting three. Maybe not. Maybe Roddy Hood comes back and is ready to go off that Achilles, and that solves the problem right away. And I guess my overarching point is that with the injuries they had this year, it, it's a little bit difficult to figure out what they have going into next season other than that, you still feel pretty strongly that they need help on the wing still and they need a another ball handler because those were two areas that they've had issues with for some time now and ha- have not really necessarily been able to rectify it, at least not yet, with either free agent signings or trades or with younger players stepping into those roles. So, you know, for me, it, again, I, I wouldn't consider it lost, but it's like you, you're not all that much different from a need perspective now, I feel like, than you were, you know, at this point last season. 
Yeah, I guess, you know, the one thing I guess you did or you do realize, I mean, it's obvious that Neil went in and they banked on Hassan Whiteside uh, carrying them until Nurk returned. If not, just becoming a great fit here. There's someone, he is someone they chased in free agency, you know, four years ago. Um, Kent Bazemore, they've shown interest with him in the past. And so I, I, it's clear that Neil decided and we've talked about this, he just decided that the previous roster had reached its peak, that it wouldn't get past the, the Western Conference Finals. Uh, and in blowing it, blowing it up or whatever you want to call it and going this different route, it just made the team worse is quite simply what it did. Now, it's easy to say now because Zach Collins got hurt in the third game. Rodney Hood got hurt what was it, November, I, I think. Yeah. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. but So he got hurt very early. And then that just threw the whole season into a tailspin. So there's no, uh, there's no way to say definitively how things would have, would have turned out, how differently it would have been um, had that not happened. But it wasn't a very good team uh, in early November and middle of November before Rodney got hurt. So, um, you know, that, that, that speaks to that. But again, I just think there are ways that you can accentuate the roster without chasing, you know, some big flashy name. Um, and, and I, I expect Neil to do that. Neil is always aggressive uh, or, or searching for ways to, um, to make the roster better. He, he definitely has leaned on continuity and roster, you know, cohesion over the last, uh, before this year for, for seasons, but that was also, followed on the heels of a, of, a, of a roster rebuild. So it made a lot of sense then to do that also. Um, and, and I guess you have to look at what's out there and, and it's still a little too early to say that. And I know we have some questions about free agents. So I guess we can just sort of pivot to that right now. Tony wants to know, uh, would keeping Leonard and Harkless have been more impactful than Whiteside? Having hindsight, please share your thoughts. Um, and then... Zandre wants to know, do you have any idea on small forwards and power forwards the Blazers would target in either free agency or the draft? I don't think the draft is going to solve anything. So just get that idea out of your head. So free agent wise, I kind of gave a peripheral little view of it. Um, uh, I don't think I use that phrase right there, but you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> a couple names that I liked that I think would be good fits. Uh, Danilo Gallinari, I think would be a great fit with the Blazers, stretch the court, a, kind of a big body you can throw down there. It won't help them on defense, but brings a lot, you know, shooting and, and, and such. Uh, Jay Crowder, I think, would be an excellent addition in both ends of the court and also bring in a little bit of that, that grit and nastiness uh, that I think you could use. Uh, and then a kind of a maybe a tear down, but Jeremy Grant has, has been successful um, and, and carved out a niche that exactly the Blazers could use to, to add. And so he would be a guy that I would like to see them target. Those are three guys that I sort of found. And then, you know, I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, and you mentioned just a, a moment ago, backup ball handling and playmaking, you know, the team needs something there. Uh, this would be a lower, lower level signee, uh, you know, a, a, a less so than that, um, than that, than that three, four kind of guy. Uh, Jeff Teague, DJ Augustine, uh, Austin Rivers are all possible, you know, lower tier, uh, cheaper alternatives that I think could, could help out. So those are some of the kind of names that you're looking at. 
you know, I know there's talk about Giannis and, and thanks Stephen A. Smith for that. And that's a pipe dream. I, I don't know that why Blazers fans are, are even considering that. Of course, any team would love the MVP, the defensive player of the year. Why do we even, it's, yeah. Can we get LeBron? Do you want LeBron there too? Um, so anyway, if there's some kind of guy that you can go get, and I don't know what the trademark is going to be like, I think financial implications will play a, a drastic or a significant role in everything that happens this summer. Um, so I don't know how that's going to impact guys that suddenly become available. But of course, if you can go get an all-star guy and you don't have to give up the fort, you go do it. That has not been possible. Teams, the Blazers are not willing to give up CJ McCollum. Uh, and if you're a, you know, a, an opposing GM, who are you looking for? Are the Blazers going to be willing to give up some of their young talent uh, that they covet so much for the future? You know, and Zach Collins and Anthony Simons, I don't know. Um, so those are all some of the things that you have to, to weigh in that. And I mean, the playoffs are still going on. So we don't even, we don't even know, you know, the salary cap, the rosters, who will declare opt in and out and free agency and all that stuff. So player options, team options, but off the top of, you know, a quick scan, that, those are a couple of the names that kind of pop to mind. Yeah, th those are all guys who, who I could see as well, Joe. Um, and, and you're right. It's, it's a bit tough to tell at this point who is going to be available and what the market's going to be. One, because who the heck knows what the cap is going to be when, when they hash that out. And two, you also assume that guys with player options, of which there are quite a few, you would imagine that probably most of those guys are going to pick those up in these uncertain times uh, to use the, the parlance. But you don't know that for sure. So th those are things that are still up in the air. But it seems like, well, the players will have the mid-level and the biannual exceptions. I I'm fairly certain of that. The mid-level will depend on if they're a taxpayer or non-taxpayer. Uh, if they're non-taxpayer, I think that's almost up to $10 million a year, which, you know, not, not, a, not a bad amount to go after guys and get. Two names uh, who are going to be for agents who, who I throw out there. And again, I don't know that these are guys who the Blazers have any interest in or, or even the, the dollar amounts to, to get them. But a guy like Paul Millsap is going to be an unrestricted free agent, obviously, later on in his career. But a guy who's, who's had quite a career at a position the Blazers could use, obviously, Gallinari, one of those guys. You know, you go further down, even guys like Ichuan Moore and, and Bogdanovich. And there's options out there. And actually, this is a good free agent class, I feel like, for a team like Portland and that there's not a lot of stars in it. And I, I think the guys who, who are going to be free agents, who are the top level players are, are guys who are going to be going back. But other than that, there's a lot of decent wings who are probably, you would imagine going to be in like these six to $10 million a year range that do seem to be coming on the market. There's, there's some opportunities, I think, for the Blazers to, to make some, some improvements through free agency this year. And again, I wouldn't say at the margins, it's not going to be, I think, your, your best first, second, third, or fourth player. But anything after that, I, I think it's feasible. I, I think Portland is maybe becoming a little more of a, not a desired market, but I, I think guys see Damian and I don't know that's necessarily changing anyone's mind, but I, I think coming to Portland is maybe a bit more palatable than it might've been in years past. And I, and I think obviously, you know, that's going to have to bear out through signings, but uh, I think between Damien and, you know, the way you've heard Carmelo talk about, about the team and the city, uh, you know, I, I think, and I, I think CJ more and more is becoming a, a voice within the, the players association and, and just among players as a guy who not necessarily the guys are looking to or anything, but, but a guy who people appreciate and, and respect. And I, I think all that combined, you know, maybe, Maybe we're able to swoop in and, and, and grab a, a nice little 3 and D wing to maybe, you know, play some 3-4 for you, maybe potentially start for you. Uh, obviously, seeing where Rodney Hood is at physically will define some of that. 
and Trevor Reza again is we're making assumptions uh, about what his future is with the team, but we, we don't know those things for sure. So it, it does seem like there are some options for Portland. And if you're a fan who, who really wants to see them go big, I don't know if this is necessarily going to be the off season for you, but I, I feel like there's some value potential in this offseason that, that the Blazers could potentially take advantage of. Now, the, the big caveat to that is what happens next. And free agency is going to be weird. And the draft, I still don't even know what day it's going to be on yet. Still no, no definitive start date for next season. So, you know, it, it's hard speaking with any kind of certainty about anything in, in 2020. But, you know, when, when you look at the situation Portland's in, they, they should have a little bit of money. They've got some roster spots and they've got some minutes, you know, like if, if a guy is kind of a, a bench guy and it's looking maybe to take a, a step forward or, or get some more opportunity, Portland is a team where, where that could happen for you if you're a, if you're a three, four. So, you know, I, I, I could see this team looking considerably different than it looks now. And part of that is because it looked so considerably different after last season. You know, they, they basically kept the team together after getting swept from the Pelicans and then blew the team up after going to the Western Conference Finals. So, what they're going to do this offseason is anybody's guess, but uh, my assumption is the team will look considerably different next season. When you look at where this team is, and imagine the team that you saw in the bubble in the seeding round with Ariza, with Hood, subbing out uh, Hazonia, uh, maybe, you know, with some of the names we've talked, adding a backup point guard. It's a good that's a good team. The way that Yusuf Nurkic played, he changes everything about how good the Blazers can be because he is so versatile and he, he plays so well, particularly with Dame, but Dame and CJ and, uh, and shooters around him, the way that he played in the seeding round, I would think would give you great hope about, you know, what next season could be having him for a whole year he, he proved that he's healthy. Uh, and the guy that we saw against the Lakers, I think, was just gassed in, in part. And, and I think emotionally spent, too, with his, the death of his grandmother. I, you know, I, I don't want to make excuses for the way he played, but I, I think you have to recognize those things. I think the team was gassed in general, too, after all they had to do just to, just to get to the playoffs. But and we've talked about this. Like, I, I'm, I'm surprised that I'm here because uh, in the past I've, I've – you know, lobby, hey, blow it up, you know, bring someone in that, that is going to change the course of the, of the direction of the franchise. But I think the, the bones of this team are good. And you have to, again, you didn't have Nurkic all season and, and you had Whiteside and we saw how that worked out and how much you miss Nurkic and, and how critical of a piece he is. You know, you throw a healthy Zach in there and, and Rodney and, and Ariza and you add a, a couple guys, like we said, Maybe Anthony takes the jump he was supposed to take. Gary Trent Jr., if he plays 80%, 85% of the way he played in the seeding round, I mean, there's some pieces there. And, and I think the team is better than a lot of people who are calling for huge, you know, foundational changes. Uh, I think they're better than those people give them credit for. I, I think so, too. And, I, and I'm not saying that, that calls for – for large moves are wrong. I mean, I, if you can construct a good deal, I, I'm open to anything. But of course, I, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, should, I, I, yeah. I would agree though, Joe. I don't feel like, I mean, I don't feel like there's been a ton of negativity around this team after, after the bubble, but it, it doesn't seem to me like they're as far away as I think some people feel like they are. I, to me, like, I, 
again, I, I think I talked about in the last podcast, I came away from the bubble much more optimistic about this team's chances going forward than, than I was about their chances going into it. And, and that's not to say that, that it's not going to be hard. And, and they are going to need some things to break their way. I mean, whatever did they do this offseason, are they going to come in with people saying they're better than the Lakers? No. Are they going to come in better than the Clippers? No. They, you find that, that hard to believe. Warriors, assuming that they get back to their, their old style, which again, I, I'm, I don't know that you necessarily just pencil them in as the old Warriors, but still a team that you're going to look at their roster and you're going to look at Portland's roster and say, yeah, the Warriors, they have more talent than Portland does. But I, I think after that, it starts to get pretty, pretty tight. And, you know, so if you're talking about potentially four, I, I think you feel really good about your chances going into next season. And again, that things could break differently. You know, if they have injuries, if, if Damien's need something happens with it, if CJ's back doesn't heal the way you want it to, if Zach Collins is out for an extended period of time with that ankle, then yeah, I mean, obviously things change, but I, I do think that there are reasons to, to be optimistic. And again, like with, with their money situation, not being as dire going into this off season as it has been for the last four off seasons after 2016, you don't feel necessarily as locked into the roster. At least I don't, as you did for the past couple of seasons, you just don't have that, that amount of, of money on your books to where you say like, we're handcuffed. We can't do anything. They're not going to have much cap space. If any cap space, actually, I think they'll still technically be over the cap. But they, I don't think they'll necessarily be deep into luxury, if at all. They're not. They're not projected to be in the in the luxury uh, uh, based upon moves. They they will be under the luxury tax. Well, then, and if you're in that situation, then you then you, again you have the mid level non taxpayer, which is a nice little chunk of money, and the biannual and a, a draft pick. Which who is to say what what the value is in that draft pick? But again, a, another asset opportunity for the Blazers. So again, I, you don't love the way that the season went, and. I could also understand if you're a Blazer fan feeling like, well, I've heard this story before and it didn't happen. So again, like I, I don't think that pessimism is necessarily unwarranted, but I also feel like, look at the situation. It seems to me like the Blazers do have something going right now. And I think they need to make those moves quick because you're talking about another three, four seasons of Dame's prime. You need to get it done here in the next couple seasons or else you got to start making some hard decisions. So I, I see there being a lot of, maybe not pressure, but a lot of, a lot riding on this next season, but I feel like they have some opportunities to, to make it worth the while. Okay, that's enough looking ahead. Let's look backwards a little bit before we move on to your Walton or Odins. Just, just about, uh, you know, this last season, which we weaved in a little bit of that conversation there, but we did uh, have a, a couple uh, postseason award or season, what, what are we calling these? Postseason, it's not post the most, the 2019-20 most. Okay. So first up, where are my notes? First up, uh, most valuable. I think we can both agree on who that is, right? Yeah, usually you have to do a most valuable, not named Damian Lillard, uh, but he was so good this year and took so much of a step forward. And again, in that January, it was so phenomenal that like, I just think you got to give him his due as, as well. Uh, you know, Damian turned 30 this year, took a step forward. I, I think his reputation went from being like one of those guys just beneath kind of the, the MVP caliber guys to a guy who's, who's on the fringes of that conversation. And again, when Damien is playing his best, this Blazer team always has a chance. And, you know, while it's, it's obvious, you know, everyone knows that Damien is the best player on this team. I, I think rather than, than trying to figure out a way to, to give somebody else some credit for, for their successes, I think you just got to give it to Damien and say, man, the, the guy is, is doing it all and is to me he's not a guy who you look at Damien anymore and say like yeah, he needs to go somewhere else I mean I've never thought that anyways but I think even nationally he's not someone you look at and be like yeah he can't win in Portland I, I think you look at how good he is now and you say yeah it's gonna be hard like it's gonna be hard to win anywhere 
but it can be done. Yeah, uh, I don't need to elaborate more on the most obvious answer, which is Dame. Uh, you mentioned January. Uh, you know, how about August? He was incredible in the bubble. He was incredible all season. So uh, that's an easy answer. Next up, uh, most surprising. Uh, I I'll go first on this one. I think uh, I think there's two kind of well, if you want to go negative, but we're going to save that for for down the road. So. It's between Gary Trent's emergence and just the Carmelo Anthony experience. And I'm going to go with the, the mellow experience. Just who could have imagined in October that a month later we would be saying hello to a future Hall of Famer who had essentially been ostracized from the game. Uh, not only that, he proved that he still has some, something to offer. And then in light of everything that has happened over the last X amount of months since then, that he would emphatically ask to stay and that say that he wants to come back. So, uh, you know, just not just for his play, but just his addition in general, that he was a Portland trailblazer and that he wants to remain a Portland trailblazer. And, and as we talked about in the last podcast, everything that comes as a byproduct of that, uh, that for me is, is the most surprising thing this season. And I'm glad you took Carmelo because I will take Gary, uh, you know, Gary Trent Jr., a guy who, you know, you, you've heard good things about, you know, a guy who, particularly in the bubble, really changed the perception of, of who he can be as a player from a guy who I, I think maybe people looked at as a bench guy to someone who could very well have a starting role in the NBA. And, you know, is that going to be with Portland? Uh, a bit tough to say right now, but a guy who has extreme talent, a guy who you talk to players on the team now, and they're like, we, Gary's got to be on this team. We need Gary. Gary's the kind of guy that we've been looking for for a minute now. So, and for him to to really go from like, yeah, you know, Gary's going to see some spot minutes here and there to being a fixture of the rotation and a guy who you're trying to figure out ways to get him more minutes. I don't know who necessarily would have seen that coming other than than Gary himself. So uh, I, I will take uh, the old GT2 and really excited to see what Gary can do going forward. I, I'm, I'm happy for Gary more than than probably some other guys on the team. And in terms of, of what he's been able to accomplish and the way he's carried himself and that is something that I did not at all expect. Uh, you know, I wasn't expecting necessarily anyone to take a huge jump this year. And even if I had, Gary wouldn't have necessarily been the guy I would have picked. But uh, he made that that move. And I, I think we've seen that he has set himself up for a, a nice career and proving my axiom once again that if you can draft children of former NBA players, if they have any talent whatsoever, go get them because they, they, they know what it takes. And And Gary has shown himself to be a guy who seems to know what it takes to, to be who he's going to be in this league. Okay, next up, most disappointing. And uh, I'll, let you, uh, I'll let you go first here. I guess you go a couple different directions here. One, you could just disappointing in general, disappointing individual as a player. I feel like I kind of know where you might go with this one, Joe. So I, I'm going to go with Zach Collins. And you can kind of parse it for, for both. You know, on one hand, Zach really did never have a chance to get things going this year, injured in the third game. Would have been nice to see what he could do playing alongside Hassan or really just what he could do maybe potentially as a backup center if they had decided to go a different direction uh, this season other than Hassan. Obviously, he wasn't able to get going, and then he comes back in the bubble. And again, just doesn't ever look like he's completely healthy. He struggles in the bubble, and then he rolls that ankle, which, you know, again, I, I don't know that necessarily that ankle wasn't an issue already. But long story short, just Zach was just never able to get things going. And, and there's a guy who you did expect to, to maybe take that next step this year. And again, I, I 
I just said it. I don't necessarily think I expect anyone to, to vault up to, to their ceiling, but I was really hoping to see a, a nice, solid step for Zach Collins this year in his third season after building some nice little momentum, particularly in the playoffs last season and just didn't happen. And now, you know, he's got to have surgery and, you know, you really wonder, can he get things moving back in the right direction before the start of next year? Because they could use that for the trailblazers. That is something that, that is really missing from this team right now. And, and you think Zach can provide it, but he's got to be out there long enough to do it. I think uh, Zach is, is, is a candidate. Uh, I, I think based upon how much hype was, was given to him heading into the season, Anthony is a candidate. I think everybody thinks that my answer is going to be Hassan Whiteside, which it would be if I was going to focus on a player. But my, my, the thing that is most disappointing for me uh, looking back was the preseason bravado, like the talk, the arrogance, you know, Anthony's a second coming, it's finals are bust, et cetera. You know, the Blazers have been at their best over the years, or at least the last few years under, under Stotts and, and Olshay, when expectations have been lowered, when, when confidence has been spoken through action uh, rather than bluster, um, when they've kind of sported that underdog mentality rather than, you know, all out there talking about winning a championship. And I know that Dame talks about that and has for years and you have to have that belief, but you also don't have to flaunt it. And I think I appreciated their, their confidence and conviction at the time. And I probably even praised it. You know, if we go back to podcasts before the season, I wouldn't doubt touting their attitude, but in hindsight, I think it was too much. I think it was unnecessary. I think it, it, uh, it's okay to have that when you're a, you're a team like the Blazers, but you don't need to be so, you know, outwardly arrogant. And so I think that set the tone for a certain expectation and a certain anticipation from everyone. And by week three, it had backfired. And then it was just, and so that would be my thing that is most disappointing. Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a good point to be made there, Joe, about the difference between not considering yourself an underdog anymore and going maybe over the top with some of the assumptions about what is going to happen. I, and I do think that shedding the whole kind of the world is against us idea, probably good for the Trailblazers, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the finals or bust train was, was the right way to go either. So uh, a good point there, Joe. Okay, next up, uh, I'll go first on this one. Uh, what gives you the most reason for hope? And for me, it's, it's a simple, uh, gigantic Bosnian by the name of, of Yusuf Nurkic. Just his health, uh, his play in the bubble, seeing him. I mean, we had talked for months about the mental hurdles that he might encounter and how would, he, how would it work with Whiteside and, and would he come back the same player? How long would it take him to return and regain his form and, and so on and so forth. And those questions were answered emphatically immediately in the bubble. And the way he played, uh, what he brought to the team, what he brings to the Blazers, as I mentioned 20 minutes ago, and, and just seeing him be healthy, that more than anything gives me, uh, it gives me the most reason for hope moving forward. Yeah, it's, it's got to be Nurk. And I was, you know, I'm, I'm trying to pick different options. But the fact is, yeah, it's the way that the use have played in the bubble, if it if he had kind of just been so so and, and struggled a bit, I think you, you go into this offseason being like, boy, where are we at? 
what do we have going for us right now? Are, are we just two guards and a bunch of dudes? Like that's, that's not going to do it. But with, with as well as Yusuf played as quickly as he did, I, I do think it puts you more in the mindset that you might've been in, in March of 2019 before he broke his leg in that like, Hey, this team is good. And like, they might be able to actually do something here. I think with the way that he played in the bubble, you come away feeling pretty optimistic and, and he's the biggest reason why. The other one too, I would say is what I just mentioned before is that the Blazers do have a little bit of flex- flexibility financially to go out and maybe sign a guy or two. It's not a ton, but they, they do have a few options, I think, for signings that you maybe necessarily wouldn't have been able to say again since 2016. Okay, flipping away from the most to the least, uh, what gives you the least reason for hope, Casey? Hmm. Uh, I, I would say just the uncertainty at, at the forward positions uh, between not knowing exactly what Rodney Hood's situation is, not knowing exactly if Trevor Reza is coming back, not knowing exactly if Carmelo is going to come back. And if he does, where he's going to play, is he going to be your small forward? Is he going to be your power forward? Is he going to be starting? You know, I, I think not really having a ton of or any real clarity on the forward position, even up to like your three deep, you know, like is Nasir going to be a, in the rotation at the four, three next season? I probably should have said two, three, but with the way the NBA is going now, I could see Nasir as a, as a power forward in this league. As a center? As a center. Yeah, as heck, it, it could happen. Is Gary Trent Jr. a small forward? It, does that work as a starter for you? Is he giving up too much size there? You know, so for me, it's not having a whole lot, if any, clarity on what's going to be your too deep at the power forward forward position next year. That gives me some pause. I'm going to go. I, I, I think that's a good call. I'm, I'm going to go toward um, – just the free agency track record. And, and I, as we've talked about both today and in, in past pods, I think the Carmelo Anthony uh, experiment has increased the Blazers' uh, attraction from, from free agents. I think the tone that he's taken, uh, having a star of his caliber, even in the twilight of his career, have such a positive experience and, and state outwardly that he wants to return, does wonders for the Blazers' image and, and Portland, the city, as, as an image. I think Dame, what he's, how, what he's established himself as um, and, and um, you know, how welcome he's, him and CJ have proven to be to, to other uh, to other players and, and what a leader Dame is that stuff, that stuff spreads that, that, that reputation, that, um, that gets out there uh, around the league. Pe- people talk. So I think all that has put the Blazers in as strong a position as any in recent memory to be somewhere that players want to go, but rarely do we see that manifest itself. And we've seen, Neil Olshay chase Roy Hibbert. We've seen him chase Hassan Whiteside. We've seen him chase, uh, I'm spacing on some of the others, but unsuccessfully though, uh, in his canter, they signed him as a restricted free agent. And, you know, I guess they didn't hit control that, but same with Hibbert. But a lot of their prime targets have decided to go elsewhere. And we've heard Neil talk about the struggles that, that the organization has had as a free agent destination. So, and I need to see them prove it. And, and until they prove it, the track record for me would be the, the least reason for hope. All right. 
Should we move along to, uh, to Walton the Rodents or questions? Do we have anything else? No, I think that's, that's a good place to, to cut it off and to, to move on to the, uh, the engagement section of the show. Sounds good. Before I do, uh, though, I do need to remind you uh, of our good friends at Tough Luck and High Top Tavern. They're both still showing NBA Blazers games outside, or excuse me, NBA games outside on patios. Now, I don't know that uh, I could recommend in good faith, despite my love for uh, the people at those bars and those bars, that you would do it during a, uh, 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 what are we in? Wildfire, wildfires, I think, you know, it's probably best to stay home. But when that clears, and it will clear, dear being let this clear, um, it's a safe and welcoming scene, socially distanced seating, contactless ordering. Uh, eventually, we're going to have some beautiful weather again. Uh, it just sounds Lovely to go sit outside in a safe environment, have a, a cold beverage, delicious food, and, and watch some basketball and outdoor TVs. So that's great. And also on that note, moving forward, when this, uh, this heat subsides and this lovely summer passes and uh, we press along to fall and winter, uh, I've got some inside info that all the bars uh, affiliated with Tough Luck and High Top Tavern, Old Gold, uh, Pay Dirt, they will all have tented and heated patios in the winter. So that's good news that you can still enjoy some uh, relatively normal times in these unnormal or, or normal experience in these unnormal times outside and, and having fun in the heat. So there you go. Now, what do you think, Casey Walton Rodens? Yeah, I would say I, I went to a tough luck with a couple of buddies uh, last week and it was phenomenal. Uh, great as always, but yeah, I, I would agree. Maybe a Maybe maybe wait until the air quality isn't suffocating. Yeah, God, it's grotesque out there. Ugh. It is. It's it's starting to seep into my house, uh, and it had it'd been pretty good keeping it out until till this morning. I started to kind of. Well, like I said, it. It, it it had been up further in the atmosphere too, which you know I remember. I think it was two years ago, where and it, it might have been the Eagle Creek fire, where I remember I was going to there was that uh that putt putt golf place in like a parking lot in downtown portland and we were going for a uh i think it was maybe for a party for our old buddy ian jaquist and yeah i remember like getting out of my car and being like i can feel particulates going into into my lungs right now and then when we the past couple of days i've been like hey this you know obviously this is terrible but it doesn't feel like it's as bad as it was then and now it is it's back it's and just here. the apocalyptic look like in the middle of a pandemic with everything going on, do we need to, does it need to seem as if we actually are living in Mad Max? Like, do, can, can we not do, is it Dune? Like, I don't need to deal with that right now. And, uh, and again, we're complaining about our situation and there are people who are in far, far dire straits. So I'm uh, complaining for them really more than anything. I'm yeah, not, good point. We're complaining. And, and again, for it's just such a weird thing too, that this year it's been, Hey, keep your ass home. And then, hey, you got to get your ass out of here. Like right. the idea that we've been on both ends of the spectrum in terms of do not leave your house. COVID is there to you need to get out of your house right now. The fire is coming. It just goes back to what we we're talking about at the, at the jump, Joe, which is like, man, give these people a break, man. Uncle. Like, let them Uncle. Live. Uncle. Okay, first up from Gavin. Walton or Odin? Gary Trent Jr. is the starter at the three to begin next season. I'm going to Odin that. I think he's going to be, uh, be their sixth man, and he's going to play a lot in the fourth quarter, which we talked about. I think we talked about this last podcast. So that's, a, that's an Odin for me. 
Odin for me as well. I just went on a five-minute rant talking about I don't know what's going to happen at the forward positions, but I do feel pretty strongly that it will be either Trevor Reza or Rodney Hood. I don't know if both those guys will be on the team, but I feel pretty confident that one of them will be and will be starting small forward. Okay, next up from Adam Nakamura, Walton or Odin, the bright side of this season is it will force the Blazers organization to see its flaws and try to go all out in the next two to three years to adjust the roster. Um, I think they already have done that. I think they are adjusting the roster. Going all out is, is kind of a, a, you know, it's how do you interpret that term? So I don't totally know how to answer your question here, Adam. Um, but I do think it's, it's not that this season, I guess I will Odin it for this and that Neil is very honest about what he thinks his roster is and, and is not shy about uh, making changes, which he's done repeatedly over the years. So I think he, he does uh, want to adjust the roster, will adjust the roster. And I think he sees the flaws um, and, and going all out. I'm using air quotes. I think that's where this franchise is. Uh, I don't think they're going to, go crazy and break everything up. But I also didn't think that last season. So what do I know? Yeah, I would Odin that as well. And more because with injuries, you always have the excuse of injuries, you know, and I I agree with everything you just said, Joe, I think they know where they need to make changes and where they need to add talent. But also when you lose two fifths of your starting lineup within the first three weeks of the season, I think there's also an inclination there to say like, well, we don't know what this team is because we never got to see those guys all together for an extended period of time. And, and I think that could potentially change the way that you go into a season or an off season thinking that, well, yeah, we didn't necessarily do what we wanted to do, but also look at all these injuries we had. Therefore, do we chalk this thing up to just being a bad team or do we chalk it up to injuries? So while I, I agree that they do know that they have deficiencies, I think they also look at this season and say like, well, but let's try to run this thing back if we're actually healthy first. Yeah, and not only is it potentially using it as an excuse, the injuries, but it also creates a bit of unknown. Like you have some unknowns about what the roster could have been. Uh, you thought it would have been something, and so that creates a little bit of a, of a confusion there. But uh, yeah, we covered that. Next up from Jackson, Walton or Odin, the Blazers will move their first-round pick in a trade this offseason. Hmm. hmm. You know, I'm, I'm partially inclined to say that they could use uh, some, some lower paid talent if, if they identify someone that they like, at, uh, you know, at that midway point of the draft, they'll, they'll pounce on him, i.e. Anthony Simons, i.e. Nasir Little in, in years past. But I also know that, that Neil really likes to use both the draft and uh, the trade deadline as, as a vehicle to, to gather new players. And um, for the reasons that we talked about with free agency earlier, uh, it's one of the been one of their prime places to you know Mason Plumley they gathered on trade night. There's there's been moves they've made to 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 bolster their roster there. So I'm gonna Walton it. I think they make a trade and, and bring in someone that helps them now. Oh, yeah, I, I think it's very possible. I will own it though. I, I they they don't seem to have much of a track record in terms of trading that pick on draft night. I feel like they they generally end up selecting players. Now, obviously they are involved in draft night trades. Zach Collins was technically drafted by the Kings, but I, I think they're going to hold on to that. And uh, I think they maybe look for a six, eight, six, nine guy who can shoot a little bit. That's where I'm feeling like they're going. So I, I will own that. I think they'll use it this year. All right. Next up from Lando Walton or Odin, the 2021 NBA season starts in December. Whew. Well, the lot hinges on a vaccine of that sort of a nature. I have heard that the season could start as late as March. And I know that there's a lot of talk about Christmas and December, 
I'm going to own this. I think uh, the NBA, after the season, after the playoffs end and they recalibrate where they are and figure out their salary cap and finances and lost revenue and, and all that sort of a thing, they're gonna, there's going to be a push to have as many games as possible with humans in attendance in home arenas. And so uh, I think they're going to push the season beyond December. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Odin that. I will Walton it actually. And I probably wouldn't have a few days ago, but you know, hearing uh, people on the team talk about kind of plans going forward, it sounds like they feel pretty good about December. Baseball has seemingly been able to pull off their season while not really even being in a bubble and with a whole lot more players. Obviously football starts up tonight. And, and if that goes well, I bet that gives the NBA some confidence going into next season that while it, I, I, and I don't think it'll be with fans initially. I think they need to get it running without fans first and then hopefully open up to fans later on in the season. That's how I see it playing out. I don't see December 1st happening, but I could see Christmas happening. So I will go ahead and Walton it. I, I think if you go back and kind of look at my comments and tweets, like I'm fairly pessimistic in terms of, of that kind of stuff, but I feel pretty, pretty good that December is, is the, I know it's the target and probably tempting fate in 2020 especially to assume that anything is going to go off positively but it seems like while you know there there's still new cases at least here in Oregon you know we're we're seeing our cases drop pretty fast so I'll uh, I'll be optimistic on that one Joe and I'll, I'll Walton it I'd say we're we're playing trailblazers regular season basketball in December 2020. Now can I just throw out a suggestion for both the NBA and the world yeah. Can we just start on January 1st, 2021? Wouldn't, wouldn't generally speaking that give you a better chance at life if we wait until the turn of the year? Because as we've overviewed and as humans well know, this is the worst year in our existence, at least our generation. So let's, uh, that doesn't have anything to do with the answers, but I'm just saying, consider it, NBA. And now we will consider your questions as always. We do solicit them on Twitter. You can follow Casey at Seahold. You can follow me at Blazer Freeman. We had a couple questions, including from Tyron Strickland, about exit interviews and, and whether or not the Blazers were going to conduct them. They are not. There will not be exit interviews. So uh, so there you go on that. A lot um, of the guys, by my understanding, is didn't even come back from the bubble. Obviously, you know, you have guys, you have a couple guys who are from our, the Orlando area, and then you have a bunch of other guys who, are, who don't live in, in Oregon necessarily. So... Uh, I, I don't know the guys that really came back to even have exit interviews, and I don't think that was the, the plan anyways. And even if they're going to have them, they can probably do those over Zoom calls. And I know at least me as a media person, I told them I didn't need exit interviews this year. I don't, I don't need to have another conversation with a player over a Zoom call about this season. I'm good. As I've said, let's, let's get rid of 2020 and move on. Next up from Daniel Devaney, which Blazer do you think improves the most this offseason? Hmm. I guess I'm going to say, I think Nasir Little is a candidate, but uh, I'm actually going to go to Anthony Simons only because, uh, as we've discussed, expectations were so much, so higher for him, so much, so much higher, higher, so higher. They were higher for him. <laughs> that's, 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 that's the correct term. That's higher. the one. Um, and so I think he's going to play much better next year. And, I think expectations are going to be lower, which, which might help. Also, it's going to be his third year. Um, so I, that's my answer. I, I, Anthony Simons is, is my guy there. And I appreciate you doing that, Joe, because that leaves Nasir for me, who is going you to be my welcome. question. 
you know, I, we had heard that Nasir had, had really made some strides, you know, during the quarantine. And then, you know, he has a concussion in the bubble. And then it sounds like, you know, he had that dehydration issue. He passed out. So, so never, obviously, I don't know that he even played in, in the bubble. But he was a guy who, going into it, there was talk of that he was going to maybe potentially enter the rotation. And the fact that he does play at a position where they could use some help and they don't necessarily have, like, a guy who was 100% set in that spot. I think that opens up some opportunities for Nasir. So I, I will take Nasir a little. I like Nasir's chances next year. I think he's going to take that step. Okay, next up from Tony. Would keeping, uh, we mentioned this one earlier, would keeping Myers Leonard and Mo Harkless have been more impactful than Whiteside? Having hindsight, please share your thoughts. We never, we never answered that. I think the Blazers would have had a better regular season record from beginning to end uh, before the bubble if they had Myers and Mo instead of Whiteside. I don't know. I guess that means they would have been more impactful. Um, I mean, Whiteside had monster numbers. He won them games. Uh, but I think the combination of the other two guys would have, would have been more impactful, I guess. I don't know, though. I, it's, hindsight's easy to, to say, but, you know, if we had been if, – if things had fallen flat and we would have said, hindsight, should they have traded for Whiteside, you know, it's – I. I'm going to say Leonard and, and Mo would have been more impactful than, than Whiteside. I mean, they had to go sign Carmelo Anthony uh, to, to plug a hole. We, I mean, I guess from that standpoint, we might never have seen Carmelo Anthony. So, um, yeah, I'll stick with that answer. Yeah, it, it's kind of – it's a really good question because do I think that Hassan is better than Myers? Yeah, I, I do. And, you know, Hassan, for his faults, has shown himself to be a starting – center in the NBA and I mean I you'd get some debate on that for sure but he's done it before Myers really hasn't so the question for me doesn't break down so much to Hassan versus Myers it's more Mo versus the as you mentioned Joe the absolute gaping hole that you had at the forward positions after Rodney Hood got injured so and Zach Collins for for that fact as well so I'll say yes yeah because I I like Mo and I I like what he does and you know Mo is you know a typical Portland small forward in that he doesn't reach the heights that you would like him to reach but he's still probably a a better player than he maybe gets a little bit credit for so yeah I, I will say yes just because they were so thin at that forward position that yeah as you mentioned Joe they go out to sign Carmelo I think somewhat reluctantly just because they didn't have any size on the team whatsoever and I think that Myers allows you to play a little bit of, of a different way. And, and while he doesn't maybe give you the same level of, of post play and rebounding, you know, he's a guy who can stretch the floor. And I, I think we've seen in, in the modern NBA, that's almost as valuable as anything else now for bigs. So I don't think it would have made a, a huge difference, but yeah, to answer the question, I'll say yes. It's I, I'm going to move us along because we're, we're pushing too far, but I will say that if, if they hadn't have made that move, and they would have entered the season with Myers as their starting center and Mo. As a, there would have been a, on paper, it would not have looked good. It looked much better on paper with Whiteside than with Mo and Myers heading in into the year. Uh, but that's why uh, hindsight is is uh, such a finicky finicky thing. So next up from. Tad Smith, which Blazer from last season who wasn't on this year's roster would have helped them the most in the playoffs this year. Hmm. Aminu, I guess. Well, Seth I'll Curry. say Aminu. Seth Curry is my choice. Oh, that's a good one. I mean, and they didn't have really – they couldn't bring Seth back, basically, with the two-year deal. But, yeah, if you were going to ask me who, who's the guy who was not on the team, it would definitely be Seth. Okay, uh, we answered Zandre's question. Uh, next up from Jeff Lindley. 
draft approach this year. Olshay seems like that's a question. What I guess what is the draft approach this year? Olshay seems like he's a best available kind of guy. I feel like we need a big. Probably losing Whiteside, Collins with first still tough gritty, but is injury prone. Uh, Olshay always takes the best player available. Uh, he targets the guy he likes that he thinks he's going to get in a zone, and then he tries to get him. And he's got his tiered guys. If that person happens to fit the needs, then so be it. But especially when you're drafting at 15 to 20 or in that range, odds are you're not going to get a guy that's going to start on day one anyway. So what need are you targeting for? By the time that guy plays, it might be a different need by then. So you, and I'm a draft best available player guy anyway. So that's my answer. Yeah, I typically am as well. Uh, And I'm not saying I'm not now, but I think with this draft, what do you base who's the best off of? I, I think this is a year where you don't necessarily try to shoot the moon. And I think that's what the Blazers typically do under Olshay is that when they're picking later on in the rounds, I feel like it goes for the full-on like high-risk, high-reward kind of player. And I would maybe shoot for a little bit more of the middle uh, this time. I, I think you find a guy who has one NBA skill and you take a chance on it. So if that's shooting, great. If it's defense, Great. Those are the two really that I would like to see them go after. So, <laughs> really, for me, it's like, do you go after a guy who's who maybe doesn't – you don't feel great about what position he has in the NBA or maybe he didn't do exactly what you would wanted him to do in his college career but has a, a marked skill, is a, has shot well from three, ha- has shown himself to, to have the, the size and length to, to switch on defense. Those are the kind of things for me where this season and with this draft – and again, I, I'm, I'm a, a, a draft novice for the most part, but those are the kind of things that I think you, you look for and just take a chance on the guy this year because I don't know that you're, you're definitely not going to find the total package at 16. And you could use some, some help that you could probably get from a college guy off the bench this year. Okay, we've got time for a couple more here. Uh, let's see. We, uh, Alexander Katie asks about uh, what it takes to get the Blazers over the hump about free agency and staying the course. We've talked extensively about that. So Jacob, do you think Anthony Simon still holds value around the league as a trade chip or has his lackluster play the last two years started to take the shine off his overwhelming athletic potential? Uh, He undoubtedly has widespread trade value around the league. And I wouldn't say that he's had two lackluster seasons since he was a 19 year old rookie uh, and didn't play at all and never was expected to play as a rookie. So he's only had one uh, rather disappointing season, I would say, but yes, he still holds great value around the league. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And yeah, everything you just said, he didn't hardly play his first season and you know, it wasn't like Anthony was bad this year. It's just, you know, he has a typical growing pains that a young player has particularly on defense, you know, and that's, you know, that's, that's not necessarily surprising. And I, I, I know that the, the team is still high on Anthony, and I'm guessing there's quite a few other teams out in the NBA who have seen what he can do, particularly on offense, and wouldn't mind adding that to their team. Okay, uh, last up, we've got uh, Ryder Tet, who wants to know if Portland can be a real contender for Giannis if he decides to look elsewhere. And in the most important Giannis question from JR, what Greek restaurant would you recommend for Giannis when he comes to Portland? So... I don't know Giannis. I've never spoken to the man. I, I don't know where he will consider or not consider or what he's doing. LaMarcus Aldridge told me before his final season in Portland that he wanted to 
stay here long term and he'd be the best blazer ever and then he changed his mind months later and left so whatever Giannis says now is not what he might think so who honestly anybody that tells you right now that they know what Giannis is going to do in a year is doesn't is full of you know what because Giannis doesn't know he thinks he knows what he's going to do now but who knows what's going to happen here if Milwaukee wins a championship next year, why would he leave? If Milwaukee loses in the first round, why would he stay? Like, so let's, yeah, we're going to wait that one out. As for the Greek restaurant, what you got there, Casey? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't eat a lot of Greek food, or at least I don't know a lot of Greek restaurants. I mean, I, I love basically every single gyro, falafel, hummus that's ever been served to me. I don't know a ton of I don't, so I guess what I'm saying is I don't know a lot about Greek restaurants in Portland. I mean, a place like Tusk, it's not a Greek restaurant, but they have some great food that I think you could classify as Greek. I'll go Mad Greek Deli just because it's on Burnside. They've been doing it for a while. They, they got a nice, nice little Euro there as well. My buddy uh, Mike says the Acropolis, uh, which, again, I don't know necessarily qualifies as a Greek restaurant, but uh, it's got a name and, uh, and you can eat some food there. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, for me, more Greek food, too, is like, I feel like the Greeks came to the United States, at least in this area, and just got into diner food, which I'm all about. Like, I, I think that's phenomenal. I love diner food probably more than any other style of food. So uh, shout out to the Greeks all the way around, uh, culinary-wise. I don't, I don't mess with dolmas, though. Terrible. I hate dolmas. We do. Yeah, when we're going, like, falafel or, or whatever, you know, hummus and stuff, we usually just kind of do it around the house. You know, we do our own thing at the house. I will say, uh, and I assume this counts, but the Mediterranean Exploration Company, uh, a little kind of a fancy place in the Pearl District, is outstanding. And it's, you know, kind of the Toro Bravo uh, tapas people that do that. And so it's kind of the same sort of shtick. They bring it out uh, as it's ready and stuff. And it is it's been a while since I've been there. Well, even before the pandemic, but it, it's excellent. So I guess that would be my answer. Mediterranean exploration company. Yeah. I'm also, I'm also a little concerned as well that as is often the case with ethnic foods, quote unquote, in the United States, that to the people who are from those countries, they're pretty much unrecognizable. So I've never been to Greece. So I don't know like what Grecian food actually looks and tastes like. I only know what, the American versions of those dishes taste like, and I, I'm very fond of them, but you know, I, I don't know uh, necessarily that uh, for a, for an expert like Giannis that it really hits the right spot. I guess we'll have to find out Joe. There we go. And on that note, we will bid you guys adieu. Uh, thank you as always uh, for listening and for uh, reading our stories and for uh, taking part in this fun little podcast that we've been doing for several years now, Casey. What We never even got to celebrate episode number 200. What are we up to now? Uh, I think we're like to 220 now, somewhere around there. It's crazy. Again, I, I'm more of a look forward kind of guy. Like I, I'm not an anniversary guy. Uh, we probably should have done something for 100, 200, but you know. Oh, well. I think we, did, we recognized 100 as it happened. 200 was mid-pandemic and yeah. we're just trying to get through the day. Uh, we didn't get to get our, our live pod at Tough Luck this year because of uh, obvious events. So uh, we long for a day when we'll be able to do that. And uh, as always, stay safe out there. Uh, be careful with the fires and the pandemic and everything else that 2020 throws at you. And, and to all the uh, parents and teachers out there, I feel your pain. Power through it. Respect and love your teachers. And, and we'll all get through this together. And uh, I don't know when we're going to talk to you guys again, Casey. What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think once they maybe nail down the draft and maybe at that point in time, we'll have some, some stuff to talk about. Uh, maybe even the same thing in terms of whenever they decide when free agency is going to be. Uh, they haven't announced All-NBA yet, and I'm assuming that Damian will make one of those teams. But uh, I would say it'll, it'll it'll be at least a couple weeks, I would imagine. But, you know, hopefully hopefully not too awful long. Yeah, how about as news warrants? Always on the Rip City Report. We don't do them just because, but when news breaks, uh, we're there. All right. Take care, guys. We'll talk to you again soon. Be safe out there. What a show. Why the Lakers even want it with us? You know. No one's ready to deal with us.